Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Matthew chapter 14, we'll begin reading in verse 22. And the word of the Lord reads this way. Immediately came to to the disciples. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves. And the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. By, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? But when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the life-giving word of the Lord. The early church father, Basil of Caesarea, once wrote, We must try to keep our mind in tranquility. For just as the eye, which constantly shifts its gaze, turning to the right or to the left, now incessantly peering up or down, cannot, distinctly, cannot see distinctly what lies before it, but the sight must be fixed firmly on the object in view if one would make his vision of it clear. So too man must, so too man's mind, when distracted by his countless worldly cares, cannot focus itself distinctly on the truth. I want to welcome you back to this morning to our series titled Distracted, Finding God in a Chaotic World. And last week we began this series by talking about the fact that if there is a word that we can use to describe ourselves, if there's an adjective that seems to fit our culture and generation, it is the word distracted. Because as we talked about, we're distracted in about every conceivable way. We're distracted at home, right? When we're at home, our minds are elsewhere on bills and, and work and responsibilities and cares and all the other things that we carry around with us. And during family time, we're distracted as well. We can have a family full of people sitting in the same room together for hours at a time and never say a word to one another because they are distracted by the devices in their hands. We're distracted at work. Right? Because there are so many other things in our lives clamoring for our attention, even when we're trying to do our jobs. I mean, and you know what I'm talking about. Why do I have to go meet with the principal? I hope this isn't really that bad. Right? Why do I have to leave you know, uh, work early for that? I hope my mom's CT scan comes out all right. All right? What time is the Little League game today? I forgot. Oh, I hope I get off on time to be able to make my, my child's game. Did I turn off the coffee pot? I hope I don't burn the house down. That letter from the IRS, I wonder if that's bad news, right? We all have these kinds of things begging for our attention. Every one of us, while we're at work, we have a myriad of things that are, that are 
calling out to us, not to mention that little device that we carry around with us in our pockets that's beeping and chirping and whining at us, you know, screaming, look at me, look at me, which we gladly oblige. We're also distracted when we drive. In fact, so much so that April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. They had to take a whole month to let people know you're distracted when you drive, as if we didn't already know that, right? Texting when driving, checking your Twitter feed when you're driving, taking pictures of other people's bad driving habits while you're driving. I've seen it done. We all know what what, what that's like. We're also, more importantly, distracted when we worship. We're distracted in our time with God. So often we begin to pray and then we lose focus and our minds begin to wander as we're trying to, you know, say our prayers to the Lord. Often we, 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 we have every good intention of being in the word and suddenly life pops up and things pop up. And the next thing you know, we haven't spent any time at all with him in the word. We get so busy that we forget that sometimes even God is even there. We don't even think about God being there other than the times that we sit down for a meal and we remember, oh, I better pray for my food. We're distracted in about just about every possible way. And as we talked about, we're paying a heavy price for these distractions. Our our distractive lives are are actually costing us greatly. These distractions cost us in our relationships with our families. It costs us in our relationship with our children and our close friends. It costs us productive time at work. But most importantly, our distracted lives are costing us dearly when it comes to the most vital relationship in our lives. That is our relationship with God. Christ. In fact, we find several consequences in our lives when it comes to becoming distracted from God. And the first consequence is that we tend to lose sight of Christ, right? When our busy lives and all around us distracts us from God, we lose our sight of Christ. And, and this is important because when we lose sight of Christ, we lose sight of the gospel, which can cause us to embrace the natural tendency within us to think that our relationship with God is based on what we do instead of what Christ has already done for us. Because we're naturally performance-based. That's the natural default for us. Am I doing good enough? And this tends to lead either to a legalistic religion or a fatalistic resignation to sin. Because I'm not going to be good enough. Why bother? So distractions from God can cause us to lose sight of the gospel. Secondly, being distracted from God can cause us to start trying to live our lives by our own strength. We try to live by our own power. We try to solve all of our own problems. We try to make all of our own decisions, which actually makes things worse. We try to deal with life on our own terms, forgetting that God is there with us and for us. That his wisdom and his strength and his power are available to those who abide in him And seek his face. We forget that God has promised to guide us and lead us. And worse, being distracted from God leads us into trials. Right? As if we didn't have enough trials of our own. When we're distracted from God, we are in effect separated from him. We're distant from him. And this leads to all kinds of difficulties like sin and temptation and missed opportunities. Because we're distant from God. And because of that, we tend to experience a greater amount of fear and worry and anxiety, and less peace and joy and comfort. Being distracted from God has grave consequences for our lives. And, and, and last week, we went into great detail about that and began to talk about in this series that we're going to be looking at four areas of our lives that the Bible identifies that, that are distractions for us when it comes to our relationship with God and, that we, and what we need to do about them. 
And last week we began to talk about the fact that, that not all of our distractions are bad things in and of themselves. In fact, some of our biggest distractions from our relationship with God can be good things like work. Work is really important, but work can be one of those huge distractions in every area of our life, right? Especially in our time with God, we can, we can be so busy with work, either at work or thinking about work or worrying about work or, or talking about work that the rest of our lives gets out of balance and it can really affect our time and our relationship with God. Work can be a big distraction to us if it's not put in its proper place. And so can school and homework, school and homework are important, but they can overwhelm our lives and schedules for teens and even adult college students. And so can sports and practice just about every family I know in this community has kids that, that are in sports or some other activity. My own children, you know, my son plays baseball, football, and basketball. My daughter plays basketball, and she's, um, you know, a community uh, pageant queen. And all of these things are good, and they build character and build strength in our children. But the problem is, is if we are not careful, they can quickly become a priority that pushes out other important things. And it's the same with our hobbies and our activities. And even, even service and ministry, which is definitely good, can actually become a busy activity that can overwhelm our schedules and distract us from other important things like time with our families and that up-close personal relationship, you know, in that time that we need with God. So there are many things in our lives that can distract us in our relationship with God. And last week we turned to the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 for guidance. And in that story, Jesus, you know, came to Mary's home, Mary and Martha's home, and, and Martha gets busy making a feast for Jesus and Martha, on the other hand, I mean, Mary, on the other hand, decides that she's going to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's upset because Mary's not helping her. And Jesus tells her, you're worried about all the wrong things. Fixing dinner, you know, for your guests is a good thing. But, but spending time with me is the better thing. Your priorities are out of whack. You know, you should be like Mary. Take time to be with me. Learn from me. Grow from me. Then worry about dinner later. And, and what we took away from that, you know, is that in our busy lives, because all of us are busy, right? We are all very busy. So what we took away from that is that what we need to do is we need to establish a daily set in stone appointment to sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to, to, to decide on a time and a place where every single day without fail that we need to get alone with God. We need to make time with Jesus a priority over everything else. We need to be like Mary and make a point to be with Christ, to focus on him. And then after that, be like Martha and get busy doing all the other things like work and school and serving and ministry. So the foundation of how we keep, our, keep from being distracted, the foundation of how we, how, how we seek God in this chaotic world is to intentionally set a daily appointment to get alone with God and spend time with him. Now this week, we're going to turn to our attention to a whole other set of issues that distract us from our walk and time with God. And we see a pretty clear picture of this in Matthew chapter 14. So beginning verse 22, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray, by himself to pray. Now, this isn't the main point of the message, right? But, but what is Jesus doing here? 
You see, Jesus just fed 5,000 people and his popularity is growing. Jesus is going all over preaching the gospel. He's healing people. He's ministering to the multitudes. He's busy working, doing the work of his father. And he and his disciples are set to go to another area to continue this work. Right? Now, if anyone, if anyone had a reason to have a busy and hectic life, it was Jesus himself. Because there was always people clamoring for his attention. There were always people around him that needed to be healed. There were always people that needed to be fed. People were always wanting to talk to Jesus. People always wanted to see him and be with him. And so it seems he was busy from sunup to sundown and even beyond. And and here Jesus and his disciples are, are about to go to another area and to do all this work all over again. But notice what he does. He sends his disciples ahead of him. Right? And then what does he do? He takes the time to get by himself and get alone with God. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, made a point to prioritize to spend time with God the Father. Jesus, while on earth, made it a priority to regularly set aside some time to find a place and get alone with God. Because Jesus needed that. He needed time with the Father. Now, if time alone with the Father is important to Jesus, then it's absolutely important for us as well. So Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him, and he took some time to get alone with God in prayer. And then it says, And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And by the fourth watch, which is like between three and six o'clock in the morning, by the fourth watch he came to them, walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, now that might seem silly to us, right? Us modern people. But, but, but the story, but think about this, right? It's early in the morning, right? It's dark outside. And these men were working hard trying to get the boat across the lake. And the winds are blowing, making it difficult. In fact, the weather like this, actually, they were at risk of actually having the boat capsize and sink. And so not only is it very dark, but it's also a very stressful situation, a very stressful environment. And then, right, and then in the middle of that, out of nowhere, they see somebody walking on the lake, and it startles them. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of love startling my kids. I love kind of giving them that little scare. I love to sneak up on them, you know, and, and slap the door really hard, you know, or make that scary noise or, you know, do that, that thing that parents do. What are you doing? You know, to watch their reaction. And invariably they jump out of their skins. They, you know, they'll, they'll turn around and they'll like swing at me and say, stop that. Don't do that. But it, but it, but it works, right? Right. And, and the reason why it works is because they're not expecting it. They're, it's not something that's on their radar in the moment. It always works the best that way. Right? It startles them. And, and my kids actually have learned, I will say, I'm proud of them. They've learned to return the favor, right? Because they really get a big kick out of getting, you know, of getting dad, right? If, if they can get me to jump, it just makes their whole week, right? You know, they scare me and I, and I have this like, like telltale flinch. I can't hide it. Like, it's like this little thing. And they know, they know they got me, right? And, and so, so we're all susceptible to this. Because we all jump when we're surprised. We will, we will flinch when someone surprises us. And there are things that make us jump and flinch. And some of us even scream. I mean, for some of us, jump scares work really, really good. For others, it's insects and 
and rodents. Do you want to see my wife come completely unwound? Just let a mouse run across the floor in front of her. You will hear the screams from here to Desert Lake, I promise. Right? And she's, cause she's, she's terrified of rodents. And some people it's, it's spiders. Other people it's snakes, right? There are lots of things. Some people it's clowns, which I still, I, I still don't get that, but yeah. Um, but, but there are lots of things that cause us to react with, with fear. And I'm telling you, right? If you were alone late at night on a boat in the middle of Lake Isabella, right? And out of the darkness, you saw somebody walking in the water, you'd probably react the same way that these disciples did. Because it's just not something they'd ever seen before, right? It surprised them, and so naturally they were scared. But it says, immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And obviously, Jesus' words, to not be afraid, must have worked, because look how Peter reacts. Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I really want you to think about this transition because this is pretty fast. Because we read these stories in the Bible and, and you know, and, and we think, well, that's neat, right? But we, we don't pause long enough to really, like, think about the details. We kind of push past the details because we're looking for the next part of the story. And we miss, I think, some of the important implications. So, so think about this. One moment, these men, including Peter, are terrified because they think that they see a ghost. They're, they're scared out of their minds, but then Jesus speaks, and their fear is removed. Their fear is gone, you know, so much so that Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, what a beautiful transformation that is in such a short amount of time. What a glorious transition from Peter's state of mind. I mean, Peter being afraid, right? He's terrified of a ghost to bold and confident enough in his faith to walk out on the water with Christ in an instant. He went from being afraid of a ghost to being able to step out of the boat and, and, and hear this and to walk on water, right? After hearing Christ speak, think about this. He was so terrified one moment, but courageous in the next. And this raises an important implication, you know, from, from this interaction. And although it's not the main point of the message, but it's an important application. And it's this, the word of Christ can calm your fears. The word of God can strengthen your heart. The word of God can give you courage. It can give you hope. Right? When, when Christ speaks, we can, we can be confident what he says to us. Like when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? I will always be with you. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do not let your heart be troubled. I've got to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of, our, out of my hand. These, the words of Christ have the power to calm our fears and to strengthen our hearts. And it does here for Peter in this moment. Right? Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then having his fear removed, Peter answered, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I want you to notice what happens here? Peter goes from afraid to confident 
In an instant, Jesus calls him in the water. Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to do what no other man has ever done except Jesus. He starts walking on the surface of the water. Right? It says it right here in the text. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. He, he did it. He walked on water. And again, I think 2,000 years removed, and we've heard this story so many times that maybe it loses its, its impact. But I'm telling you, if you saw somebody walking on water, it would absolutely stop you in your tracks. Right? He walked on water and came to Jesus. This is so easy to overlook. Peter trusted Jesus enough to say, tell me to come out there with you and I'll go right out there with you. And when Jesus said, come, Peter didn't hesitate. He stepped out of the boat, confident that he was going to be able to do what Jesus was doing. He believed that he could walk on water because, because Christ told him to come. He trusted Christ's ability to help him walk on the water. And that's exactly what he did. Peter didn't feel, he didn't just feel better about himself because of Jesus, right? He didn't just feel more hope because of Jesus. He didn't just feel more satisfied because, because Jesus was there. He stepped out of the boat and he began to walk on water because of the words of Christ. It's a glorious moment, right? I mean, think about this. Have you ever experienced something in your life when you couldn't do something and suddenly you could? I mean, like, like I don't know about you, it was a glorious moment in my life when I could ride a bike. You went from like wobbly kid who couldn't do it to suddenly just figured it out and then you're doing it. This must have been an exhilarating moment, a thrilling experience for Peter. Right? And everything is beautiful. He steps out of the boat on the water. Life is good, you know, and it's perfect as long as he has his attention fixed on Christ. But when he saw the wind, that's when it all gets sideways. When he saw the storm, when he took his eyes off of Christ and began to look at the conditions and the circumstances around him, when he lost focus on Christ, he was afraid. And he became distracted from Christ. And as a result, he began to sink. Which leads us to the main point of our text. And it's this. Our fears, our worries, and our anxieties can distract us from the strength and the confidence that we have in Christ. Our fears have a tendency to distract us from Jesus. Fear and anxiety and worry are huge distractions in our lives that can take our attention away from our Savior. And I think that's why the Bible tells us over and over and over and over again to not be afraid, to not be anxious. Right? In fact, I've heard it said that, that the Bible tells us over 300 times to not be afraid because our fears have this tendency to distract us in a relationship from God. And I think that we've all experienced this. I mean, we as believers, we're saved by the grace of God. We're saved not because of what we do, but by Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross and our faith in that. And that gives us hope and confidence. But there are just times when the circumstances of our lives begin to play on our fears. And when that happens, right, we become anxious and worried and we begin to lose sight of God. We begin to lose sight of Christ. We begin to lose sight of the power that he's working in our lives. And we, like Peter, we begin to sink. We begin to drown in our own emotions. We begin to fall prey to the negative consequences of fear. Consequences that, that are very pervasive in our lives. Consequences that affect really everything in our lives. Fear affects our emotions. 
we begin to worry, we begin to ruminate, we begin to experience deep anxiety. We begin to think about things over and over and over again, replaying things in our minds. We begin to experience less joy and peace. We find it hard to think. We find it hard to concentrate. Right? When we are focused on our fears, our mind is just locked into this. We become more irritable and less social and nobody wants to be around us. It also affects our physical bodies too. Right? We lose sleep. We don't eat well. We get fatigued. We feel exhausted. We experience physical, the physical effects of depression and anxiety. Right? Fear and anxiety and worry can be linked to things like heart disease and strokes and migraines and chronic depression and, and many other gastrointestinal issues and many other health effects. And because of both of these, fear can affect our relationships too. Fear and anxiety will impact all of our relationships. It impacts our marriages. Just ask anyone who suffered and battled with depression. And just ask anyone who's been married to someone who has been battling depression and anxiety. They'll tell you it affects their marriages. Right? Our fear affects our spouses. It also affects our children. Parents who tend to worry all the time tend to raise kids who worry all the time. Right? Parents, who, children who live in homes where parents struggle with fear tend to feel less secure and less loved. And the emotional and physical effects of fear can impact our friendships too. I mean, how many of you find it hard to spend time with someone who's always worried and always negative, right? And always fearful. Someone who's always dark and fatalistic. I think most of us tend to struggle to be in the same room with someone like that. Fear and anxiety, you know, affects even our work relationships. It affects our coworkers, our bosses, and our subordinates. People who are fearful tend to not make solid decisions. They tend to waffle and hesitate and get hung up in analysis paralysis. They tend to backtrack. People who are fearful can make it difficult to get anything done at work. Fear affects all of our relationships. But most importantly, fear affects our relationship with God. You see, fear, our fear and worries can cause us to lose sight of God. Our attention gets diverted away from God to other things like Peter in this moment. Fear causes him to lose sight of Christ and immediately begins to sink into the tumultuous waters. His fear causes his faith to wane. I mean, he had enough faith to walk on the water, right? He had enough faith to do something nobody else has ever done before, right? But his fear causes that faith to fail so much so that Jesus said, you have little faith, right? And it's not the last time this happens to Peter. In fact, there was a night before Jesus was crucified. Peter tells Jesus boldly, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Even if I must die with you, he says, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. I'm ready to go with you to the very end. Peter believes that in all his heart that he's going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. But when Jesus gets arrested... And when they finally figure out that Jesus is doomed, that he is going to die, it all changes. Peter's fear begins to well up in him. And he begins to realize that he is next, right? He, he knows that they're going to be looking for him. That he knows that people who are connected to Jesus are in trouble. And he begins to fear for his life. And once again, he gets distracted and he loses sight of Christ. In fact, in Matthew 26, um, we're told... Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you're one of 
you were with Jesus the Galilean. <clears throat> but he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And then he went out to the entrance. Another girl saw him, and, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, Peter's fear caused him to deny Christ, not once, but three times. And not just like, hey, I don't know him, but to like be very adamant about it. I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. To, to, to basically to curse and, to, and to, to become vulgar. Peter denied knowing Jesus, the man that he spent three and a half years of his life with. Every day spending time with Jesus, watching him do what he did. Watching him perform miracles. Watching him walk on water. Watching him raise somebody from the dead. Peter's fear affects his relationship with Christ. It caused him to lose sight of the strength and the courage that he had in Christ. And it can do the same for us. Many people forget about God's faithfulness, right? We forget about God's faithfulness when we get the cancer diagnosis. Many people lose sight of the fact that God is their provider when the money runs low, Many people lose sight of the fact that they're forgiven by the grace of God when they make a mistake or fall headlong into sin. Fear is a horrible, horrible distraction in our lives when it comes to our walk with God because it can cause us to lose sight of the gospel. It can cause us to try to walk in our own strength. It can cause us to, to even to be more susceptible to temptation and sin and the devices of the devil, like discouragement. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Fear is not always a bad thing. Because fear can have a purpose when it's when experienced in the right way. You step off the curb into the street and you hear a horn of a car that's coming right at you. Right, That fear can motivate you to get back up on the curb and be safe. The right kind of fear can help you be prepared for emergencies. The right kind of fear can help you to make sure that your situational awareness is at the proper level when you're surrounded by people you don't know in an area you're not familiar with. But there are other kinds of fears that are, that are crippling fears. Fears that overwhelm our lives and distract us from all of our relationships, especially our relationship with God. And these fears really fall into three distinct categories. They're fears from the past. Many people carry with them fears from the past. Maybe it's someone from your past that you don't want to run into in your life. Maybe it's an ex-boyfriend. Maybe it's an ex-wife, right? right? Maybe it's that creepy neighbor that used to like stare at you really funny when you used to play outside when you were a kid, right? Maybe it's somebody that you did wrong in a business deal. Maybe it's something you did in the past that you're afraid of. Maybe you committed a crime, Maybe you betrayed someone. Maybe you were unfaithful and you're worried about getting caught. Maybe, maybe you did something that you were ashamed of, right? And that you don't, right? And you don't want anybody to ever find out because you feel like you'd be ruined if you found out, you know? And the fear of this secret becoming public is just more than you can bear and it just eats at you and gnaws on you, right? A lot of people carry around fears from the past, but many also have fears 
you know, of their current circumstances. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're not sure if you're, you're going to get a, a good grade on the test that you really need to get a good grade on. Maybe, you know, you felt a lump where there wasn't supposed to be a lump on your body, right? Maybe you have a child that's serving in the military in the Middle East and you haven't heard from them in a few days, right? Or you hear about the fact that we just bombed Syria and Russia is mad at us. Or you open the mail and you find a bill that you weren't expecting and you realize, man, there's not going to be enough money to buy groceries. Or you have a neighbor, right, who, who, who has people stopping by about every 15 minutes all night long and you realize what's going on at that house, right? Our world is filled full of question marks and dangerous situations and uncertainly. And many of these current circumstances can be so overwhelming and create so much fear that, that we lose sight of our Savior like, like Peter did. And we begin to drown in our own anxieties. And many more people fear the unknown. They fear the future. They fear things that you can't see. They fear what is beyond their ability to know. They fear things that are beyond their ability to control. And a quick way to identify this kind of fear is the question, what if? Because we hear it all the time. What if World War III breaks out? What if the economy tanks? What if I die in my sleep? What if I buy this house and lose my job? What if, right, there's another government shutdown like they're always doing? What if the Patriots win another Super Bowl? Which, that's a fear of mine, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> what if, right? Many people have debilitating fears about the unknown, right? And those fears consume them and it causes them to worry incessantly and it can cause them great anxiety. And again, this kind of fear tends to draw our attention away from God and has the ability to side track us, right? It takes our attention away from God's ability to take care of us. It causes us to lose sight of the promises that God has made us, like the promise that God works all things for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. That he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. Right? Or if God is for us, who can be against us? Fear of the unknown and fear, you know, and, for, and all fear, for that matter, can cause us to lose sight of the sovereignty, the sovereignty and the power of God, which is really the issue. You see, the root of our fears that causes us to be distracted from God are two important related issues. Number one, our fears are rooted in us trying to control what we cannot control. That's really the heart of fear. You want to control things that, that you can't control. We want to control the past. We want to control you know, our current circumstances. We want to control the unknown things. right? But the single most important fact about fear that you need to embrace today is this, that you are not in control. You're not. You're not in control of the weather. You can't control the economy. You can't even control your own kids, even though that we'd like to believe that we can. We're not in control of elections. We're not in control of Syria or what Russia does in response. We're not in control of the traffic on the 405 freeway. Right? We're not in control of ourselves most of the time. You are not in control and, and your fear and worry are rooted in the fact that, that you want to control things that are really beyond your control. You can't control cancer. You can't control the planetary alignments. You can't control gravity. You can't control this incessant wind Right? You can't control the pace of technology. 
you do not have control because you are a finite being. You do not have control of really anything. Now, the second thing that's related that, that our fear is rooted in is a misplaced trust of Christ. We misplace our trust. And I think this one probably smarts a little bit if we're Christians, but, but we need to hear this. Our fear tends to be a sign that we're trusting in something other than God. Just let that one sink in a little bit. I mean, there's a reason why the Bible says trust in God with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding because we tend to trust in other things in certain times. We tend to trust in our intuition. We want to trust in our abilities to figure things out on our own. We want to trust in other people. We want to, we want to trust in the government. We want to trust that if we will just sit up all night long worrying about this situation, that it will somehow be okay if we will just worry about it. But it's not the truth. God is completely sovereign. God is completely in control. We are not. He's the creator of the entire universe, right? And we need to trust him. All things are within his power and will. We need to forsake We need to forsake trying to control what we cannot control and forsake trusting in other things more than we trust in God. And I want you to hear me say that again. We need to forsake trying to control what we cannot control. And we need to forsake trusting in other things more than we trust in God. Because fear is a debilitating condition that causes us to be distracted from God and is rooted in our desire to control what we can't. And it's a lack of trust in God himself. So you might say, well, okay, all right, Sherman, I agree, all right? Fear is, the build, it, it is a big distraction with me in my walk with God, but what do I do? How do I overcome this? How do I keep this fear, you know, uh, from taking my eyes off of Christ? Because it's hard. There's a lot to be afraid of. There are a lot of things in my life that are going wrong. There's a lot for me to be concerned about. And you're right, there are lots of things that can make us fearful, but there is a number of things that can help us in our life if we'll apply them. And what I want to do is I want to share with you three of them today. Just three practical things that you can do to help you overcome the power of fear in your life. And number one, you must keep your appointment with God. And you might think, hey, you're cheating because we talked about that last week, right? I know that this isn't new, right? But it's that important. You must keep your daily appointment with God because, the, because only time with him will help you to grow in your knowledge of him. Time in prayer, time in the word, time in meditation, right? If you want your fears and anxieties to not control your life, then you need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. You need to grow so he can strengthen you, so he can encourage you, so he can edify you. End of story. And if you want, and if you have not already set a time and a place to get alone with God every single day, then you need to do it today, right now, before you leave this place, make a decision, put it on your calendar and do it. Number two, we must continually preach the gospel to ourselves. You must continue to remind yourself of the gospel. One of the greatest problems in Christianity today is that there is this sense that the gospel is the thing that you learn at the beginning when you get saved. That the gospel is something that you learn to get into the club, right? 
And then once you learn the gospel, once you become a Christian, then you move on to something else. It's really kind of like the idea in many churches. That there's a second level class that you need to take. Right? Like, like the gospel is for beginners. I'm moved on from that. There's something else I need to learn. I want you to hear me on this. Right? It is always, always, always about the gospel. It is always about the gospel. The gospel is the central truth that we must always hold on to. It's the truth that we need to talk about and think about and meditate about and sing about. All the time, everything in our life is a gospel issue. Everything in our life is a gospel issue. Your fear is a gospel issue. You see, the gospel is very clear. You were dead in your sins with no hope to save yourself. And the wrath of God abided on you and you were destined to stand before him to be judged. And no matter how good your life is, if that didn't change, you would spend all eternity in torment. You would be cast into hell and that's exactly what you deserved for your sin. And if there's anything that's worthy of worrying about, it is that right there, being hell-bound. But the good news is God, the Father sent God the Son to the earth to live the life that you couldn't live, to fulfill the law that you couldn't fulfill. And he willingly went to the cross and was tortured and endured the full wrath of God and died in your place. And on the cross, he takes away all your sins. He washes away all of your iniquities. And he gives to you, he imputes to you his righteousness so you can stand before God. It's no longer your sin that God sees. It is the righteousness of Christ that God sees. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that the debt was paid and proving that he is what he claimed to be, God in the flesh, and that he can do what he promised you he would do, which is to save you from your sins. In Christ Jesus, sin and death have been conquered as validation, as a receipt for the payment of your sins, which means you now can spend all eternity in heaven in the presence of God. All you need to do is put your trust in Christ. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And the greatest problem that you will ever face in your entire life is taken care of. The greatest worry that's actually worth worrying about is taken care of. No matter what you face in this life. No matter how bad things get here, no matter how many people get cancer, no matter how bad things get with your family and your friends, no matter how many jobs you lose, no matter how bad the economy gets, the good news is that you can always look to is your eternity is secure in Christ. That truth, the gospel truth, should remind you every day that the transcendent, holy, creator God of the universe the one that you can't even imagine is close to you and he's in control of all things and he loved you so much to send his son to die for you. Right? And Paul actually says, he says it really well. He says, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How much more will God take care of you and comfort you and strengthen you and preserve you? How much more will God give you the peace that surpasses all understanding if you will but seek his face? We need to keep our eyes on the gospel 
as one pastor says it this way, he says, the Christian life is like walking, is like walking on water. It is humanly impossible. It can only be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. As long as we look away from other objects to Jesus, only then can we experience supernatural life. But the minute we become occupied with ourselves and our circumstances, we begin to sink. And then we must cry out to Christ for restoration and divine enablement, which really is the third practical application to help us overcome distraction and fear in our lives. And that is to be like Peter. (laughs) When you're sinking, cry out to Jesus. Because the truth is this. We live in a broken world filled with broken people, and we ourselves, though we're justified by faith in Christ, we are still broken sinners ourselves. Right? God's sanctifying work is not done yet in us. And because of that, we will probably at times fall into fear and, and worry from time to time. We will lose sight from moment, in, in some moments of Christ when the troubles around us begin to overwhelm us. And so what we need to do when that happens is we need to be like Peter and cry out so that Jesus can rescue us from our fear and our burdens. We need to cry out to Jesus. Lord, save me from my fear. Lord, save me from my doubts. Lord, strengthen my heart. Lord, turn my eyes back to you. When you find that fear has overwhelmed you, when you find anxiety has swept over you, when, when fears cause you to lose sight, cry out to him. Right? Run to him. Run to be in his presence. And Jesus, just like he did for Peter, will reach out his hand and take hold of you. He will steady you. He will strengthen you. And he will set your feet back firmly on the rock. And so with that, let me just leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your Father feeds them. Your Heavenly Father feeds them. And you, and are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What will shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and all of your fears and all of your doubts and all your worries, if you will but keep your eyes set on him, all those things will begin to fade into the background of his glorious grace that he has for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are absolutely gracious to us. So much so that you don't want us to fear. You don't want us to walk around in fear. That we live in a world that's filled, fraught, full of danger and, 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 and difficulty. And it's easy for us to just kind of get caught up 
wondering about what's going to happen next, wondering what if, wondering what's going to happen if somebody finds out some things about us. Father, you're in control. You're the creator of the entire universe. The observable universe is 96 billion light years across. You created every bit of that, and not a molecule of that is out of rebellion to your will. So, Father, let us always remind ourselves to turn our eyes heavenward, to look to Jesus, to cry out to him and allow him to heal us of our fear and to trust in you completely, knowing that you're going to work things out for your glory and for the good of those who love you. And Lord, sometimes those, those things are going to be scary to go through. Sometimes the answers aren't what we're, that we're looking for. Sometimes we don't get the healing we expected, but Lord, you do work things according to your will and your knowledge. And, and your word says it's beyond what we can even understand. And so Father, let us turn today anew to trust deeper in you. And Father, to those who might not have put their faith in you, who's not trusted in you yet, that they would turn to you now and confess that Jesus is Lord. They would confess that they are sinners and that they would, through repentance, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray, Father, that you would raise up a people in this congregation, in this little church, who are willing to go out and share the hope that we have found in Jesus, that we can live lives where fear can be a thing of the past. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.